Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Our Advent theme continues uh, with a thought that's absolutely huge. It's almost incomprehensible. The Gospel of John and the Nicene Creed declare that even in the person and the divinity of a baby, that Jesus, through him, all things were made. Paul, years later, reiterates this truth to this like astonished group of philosophers in Athens when he declares to them, he says, in him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. He's the agent of our very existence. We're going to explore what that means for us this morning as we together battle through this COVID year. And as I said last week, there's something to puzzle about regarding the nativity stories in the Gospels. When Luke and Matthew have fairly developed stories of the birth of Christ in them, it's often said that the Gospel of John carries no nativity story whatsoever. But what makes this fascinating is that almost all biblical scholarship agrees that the last gospel to be written was that of John, and it was written somewhere around 90 AD in the city of Ephesus, where both John and Mary spent the end of their life. More than that, according to all of the ancient tradition, Mary spent the rest of her life with John and either died or was translated into heaven in the city of Ephesus. Now, it's a bit of conjecture, but it's a really good biblical conjecture, I believe that not only do we have one nativity story from John, but we have two. And one is in the book of Revelation, and we talked about that last week. By the way, I felt as if that was an incredibly important message in terms of the kind of prophetic edge that it had. Uh, Brett uh, Young gave a prophecy which we iterated in that service. You really want to get to that and listen to it. Also, the prophecy is on the website. What else was, I think, major about that particular message is it gives us a sense of the status we're in as we move through this COVID Christmas and the battle that we're fighting. So you can get that message on the website. You can get the prophecy on the website. It's an important message. Now, the other nativity story, other than the book of Revelation, lies in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I believe that the Apostle John's Christmas story is like so awesome because it arises, this is where it comes from, from a human intimacy that only John was able to have. So John never contradicts the written stories of Matthew and Luke. He never contradicts them. But more than that, John kind of drills down into the Christmas idea of Jesus who came as out of all possible descriptions as a word, the word made flesh. The word made flesh is unique. That phrase, the word made flesh, is unique to the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. The fancy name for it is a Johannine concept. So we have this question. Even when I was a young Christian, I said, why a word? You know, why is Jesus described as a word? Where does that come from? And we need to ask that question this morning on this Christmas. Because John's Christmas story is so extraordinary because he had such unique access to the two major Christmas players, right? John's perspective of Christmas arises none other than from the mother and the son. Wow. 
After all, John is the apostle most intimate with Jesus, the one whom Jesus loved, the one whose head rested to hear the very heartbeat of the Christ and the Last Supper. And what's more, from crucifixion, Mary was attached to John's love for the rest of her life. Jesus entrusted his mother to John. Jesus had other brothers, but Jesus entrusted his mother to John. So Mary spent decades with John, first in Jerusalem and finally in Ephesus, where they both ended their days on the earth. And I just wonder at the conversations that must have gone on between the two of them. John had access and he could ask her, he could say, did you feel anything when you said, be it done unto me according to your word? Did it, did, were you aware that anything happened? Or was it, was it grace? Was there perception going on? What was your visit like with Elizabeth? And these kinds of things. So John begins his story differently than Matthew and Luke. John begins his story from forever with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And it's that intimacy in the Godhead that gives rise to this particular Christmas story. The Bible scholar Gail O'Day, she says it in this way, for the Apostle John, the Christmas story isn't a, a mere story about Jesus' birth. It is Jesus' very own story of being God himself from birth. Now, I want to read together this passage of Scripture that most of you are familiar with. I want to read it together. Uh, and it's one of the more puzzling accounts of the incarnation of the Son of God. We're going to begin in John 1, verse 1. Please pay attention to the text on your screen or uh, turn on your Bibles or open your Bibles and, and f follow with me, track with me as we unpack this. I, I want for you to track with me. These are some of the most dense statements in, in, in all of the Gospels. And I want us to be able to carefully go somewhere this morning and make these things not only real, but important to our Christmas. So we're going to begin in John chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm going to do this running commentary. So be with me in this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we have Word, 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 God, God, God. John is referring to the ultimate beginning of all creation. He, he's using the very same phrase that the book of Genesis begins with. But John gives us more information than Genesis does. He says, before creation, the Word existed. I want to say that again. Before creation, the Word existed. He says, the Word was with God. Now, that's one bit of information, but then John gives us another bit. The Word was God. And so this should give us a crazy question to ask. How can you be with who you are? Huh? The only way you can do it, if naturally, is to be a schizophrenic, uh, or if there are multiple persons in the Godhead himself, and that's what John is describing here. So in one incredibly packed verse, John's saying that Jesus is a word, whatever that really means, and we'll get to that, and that Jesus is also God, and that Jesus is one person of God with two other people, the Father and the Spirit, and all of that is miraculously fitted and enshrined in one verse. This is John. Verse 2, he was 
in the beginning with God. Now we have more important information. Suddenly the word is described with a masculine personal pronoun. He, the word is he. This tells us that the word is a person. And before anything got created, that person, the word already was. And, and, and this is really important. He tells us that the word is a person before anything was created. And then in the next verse, then we discover that the word was a particular part, has a, has a particular part to play to exercise within the Godhead. The word has a job. Verse three, all things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that comes into being. We have these personal pronouns again. It's really important to John that we understand that the word himself is not a created being. He is the creator being. Listen, heads up, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Moonies, Way, all of the cults want to deny the fact of the divinity and the pre-existence of Jesus from forever. Actually, the devil wants to do it because he wants to strip humanity of, of the, the hope of the divinity of Jesus so that humanity can work and work and work and work and work and still not be saved. So if you exist this morning, if you pass a mirror under your nose and it fogs, it is through him. It is through Jesus. But even more importantly, we can't lose sight of the fact that the word has a particular business in the Godhead. God creates through Jesus. And God's not done creating. God creates through Jesus. That is, through Jesus as a word. But, but why a word? Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Leon Morris, the, the great expositor, he says, it's only because there is life in the beginning of the word that there is any life in the entire cosmos at all. The, the first recorded words of God in the Bible are, let there be light. And John tells us that the word is the source of all that light. The, the life that is in the word, in Jesus, is the only light that enlightens us to the meaning of of existence itself, but the meaning for each of our own existences. And if you don't know why you exist, uh, what it's all about, there's a light for you this morning as you're listening. There's a, a light for you this Christmas. All right, we want to go to verse 4, all the way from verse 4, all the way down to verse 14. Here it is. And the Word, the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. The Greek word for became here is in a, a tense in Greek that we don't have in English, but it means a complete finished action at a point in time. That happened when Mary said to the Holy Spirit, to Angel Gabriel, you know, be it done unto me according to your word. And so this is not, this is a once and done thing. This isn't pantheism. It was once and done 2,000 years ago, and this is as a fixed a description of the incarnation within the womb of Mary as there ever was. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then John says, and we saw his glory. John speaking for himself and for Mary and for the disciples and for us. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, 
Jesus came to be one of us, as of all things a word. Now, where did John come up with this amazing notion of creation? Uh, it could have been sheer revelation the Holy Spirit spoke to him, but I believe that when John handles sheer revelation, it looks more like the apocalypse, the revelation, the book of Revelation. So Jesus came to be one of us as a word. I believe that the way that John handles this is that it came through these intimate conversations with Mary and the Christ himself. Julius Godet, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, describes where he thinks, and this is what I think as well, where he thinks John came up with this notion. It came from Jesus. This is what Godet says. He says this, this is the richest expression of the consciousness that Jesus bore toward his own person. This is how Jesus saw himself. I don't think we can understand it, but I think this morning we can catch it. It's so freighted with meaning. I don't think we can reason our way to it, but I think that there's something that we can move in that will give us a shot at the wonder of it, okay? Okay, how could John understand it? How can we understand a Christmas freighted with all this kind of meaning? Here's a principle. See if you can catch this. Before God created, God, before God created, God's intention was to enter into the very creation he created. I don't think some of us catch this. I don't think we think about it. Before he created, God's intention was to enter into the very creation he created. Renoir, the great painter, the Impressionist painter, painted a number of different, very famous now, expensive paintings called The Hills of the Moulin. They're just gorgeous in the color and so forth. But as the story goes, when he was painting, he would be painting and he would have his easel set up in, in this rural setting in the south of France and he'd be painting and he'd be overcome by the beauty. And he would have to set down his brush and just walk into the fields. He needed to enter into the creation that he was creating. There's also this story, C.S. Lewis talks about the pain of experiencing great artistic expression. That there's part of the pain is realizing the beauty of it and there's something in humanity that wants to enter in to the beauty of it when you realize the beauty of it. This, this kind of thing. See, when God created creation, he always intended to become part of the creation he created. Some of us have this conception that God created humankind, and of course Adam and Eve sinned, and then somehow God's in the heavenly saying, the Father's saying, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Uh, we need a plan B, I know. Son, we're gonna have to send you down there, we're gonna have to send you, you have, you're gonna have to go slumming into all that sin and the consequences of sin and die for these ones. But the scripture says that be, from before the creation of the world, he was crucified for us. Uh, the, the love with which he created us was the love that also understood that he would save us and become one of us. So what that means is like, you hear about the Big Bang Theory and expansion of the universe. This is all the decoration of the nursery for the living God. So when Jesus both created and entered creation, he created and entered creation of all things. Here we are again as a word. So I have a really puzzling question for this piece of the puzzle, a really important question, why a word, once again? Why does Jesus take on the identity of the word? 
Now, as I said, the only place in the Bible where Jesus is described as the word also comes from John. In Revelation 19, 13, John says he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word, the Word of God. So when we go to commentaries, it's really interesting. If you go to a lot of commentaries on this whole idea of the Word, they go off into this thing about Socrates and the Greek concept of logos and all this kind of stuff. And I, I just think, no, John's the least philosophical of all the evangelists. I mean, his epistles are just simplicity itself. He's just thoroughly frustrated with the inability of the church to love, the inability of Christians to love one another. It's simple. It's not complex. It's not like Plato's cave. Could it be as simple as us asking ourselves, what is a word? <laughs> what is a word? Let's ask that. So I came up a few years ago with this uh, Ruby's handy-dandy definition of, of word. What is a word? A word is a single utterance, a shaped breath that is the primary carrier of meaning. All right? I want to say that again because I want us to catch this. A word, any word in any language, if it is a word, is a single utterance a shaped breath that is the primary carrier of meaning. For everyone right now, if you just bear with me, I want you to close your eyes for just one moment and listen to what I say. So everybody close their eyes and listen to what I say. Cauliflower. Cauliflower. I want you to envision it, envision it. Cauliflower. Now, keep your eyes closed, image it. So what do you see? Open your eyes. You see, I said something. I uttered a word. I said something and you saw what I said. I breathed out loud and created something that you just now received. I said cauliflower. It is immaterial. It comes to you uh, in your head, in your brain, and it's in your minds now. And it is one word. Okay, but it has information, which it has meaning. It means something to you. So a word is information. As long as you have a mind to receive it, you have it. Right now, you have cauliflower in your head, and you did not have that a minute ago, right? Okay, a word is information. How does all this have anything to do with Jesus becoming one of us? What it has to do is this. I say cauliflower, and I've created a notion in your head, right? But here's the deal. When God says cauliflower, there's cauliflower in the room. That's the difference, all right? The word who is Jesus doesn't only carry meaning, he carries out what the word means. The word Jesus is still making stuff. He's there's still cauliflower in the room when Jesus says cauliflower. So verse 3 clearly tells us that all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing comes into being that comes into being. And whether that statement is made 2,000 years ago or whether it's made this morning, do we all realize how huge a statement it is to say that in him we live and move and have our being? Because God is creating right now. There are words that he's uttering. 
Now, let me wow us with an example. Everyone here has heard of the Big Bang. You know, Sheldon Leonard and all that. So the notion that the universe began 13.7 billion years ago and kind of like a balloon being blown up, the universe is expanding. So astronomers and physicists, in order to, to look at the beginning, simply trace the expansion backwards, and they come up to a place in time which is this infinitesimal point. They call it a singularity. It is one to the minus 42nd of a second after the universe came into existence, which is a, an incomprehensibly small piece of time. It is incredibly smaller than a nanosecond. So scientists call it a singularity because they have nothing else to call it. Now this is what science says. In that singularity, which is infinitely small, everything in the universe, including us and the galaxies and the stars and the carbon atoms and all that, came out of that singularity. There was a word, and there was a word, and it became fleshed out as the universe itself. But there also is a word, and that word has become flesh and dwells among us. Okay, Jesus is the living word. And what does that have to do with us now, this Christmas? Here's the deal. This kind of segues, I believe, with last week's message perfectly. I hope you got my Christmas letter, because this segues with it. One of the conclusions in the Christmas letter, if you read it, is, what is in your womb this Christmas? I want to say, what word is in your womb this Christmas? Because the word became flesh so that words can become flesh. The truth is that we exist the church exists to be like Jesus, to flesh out what God is speaking on the earth. And when the angel Gabriel came to the Virgin Mary and told her that in her womb the word was going to become flesh, he said, well, how is that possible since I'm a virgin? And Gabriel said, no word, no word from God is void of power. He didn't just say the word you're getting you know, from God is not void of power. He says, any word from God is not void of power. All right? So Mary said, well, behold, the servant of the Lord, be it unto me according to that word. Jesus said to the devil, men and women do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We are to live our lives by an active word from God, Jesus says. And here's how that works. Paul states in the book of Romans, he says, look, God is a God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In other words, he's still creating. And when he creates, he creates with a word. There's cauliflower in the room. All right. If the Bible says anything about the character of God, it's that God is a speaking God. He speaks through the predicaments of our life. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks to us when we persist in prayer. He speaks to us through relationships and friendships. There's a connectedness in the church, which is absolutely essential because it's how God speaks. He speaks to us through the prophetic gifts. The very universe itself is God himself speaking. And above all, he speaks to us above everything else through the scriptures. God is never not speaking. And the question then becomes, you know, all these words are flying from the Godhead. The question becomes, are we listening? Are we listening? Our lives 
are lived to flesh out his word to a lost world. The word became flesh so that the words can become flesh as we minister Jesus to a lost world. So what word is in your wallet this Christmas? Um, I believe that God is speaking especially in this COVID Christmas season because it's so unusual. Something like this can't happen. The circumstances are so enormous that we're working through. I just want to make sure we're all listening. What is God saying that we can say to him like Mary, behold, which means, hey God, get a load of me. I'm your servant. Be it unto me according to your word. And here's the difference between a word from God and a word from man. No word from God is void of power. In other words, you know, forgive the pun, intrinsic to the word that God speaks to us is the power for the word to be performed. Here's what I would like to do. Now, I felt like the Lord said to do this, and it's a, little, it's a little crazy, but during this season, if you've been listening, has God been speaking to you a word? Or maybe he's been speaking to you many words, but there's one word right now that the Holy Spirit has his finger on. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is often called the finger of God. So when we were worshiping before, I heard the Lord saying that there's someone here who's considering a job and you have to move north in order to get the job. And God's saying, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to open up a gap for you to move north because I've set apart this job for you. I've set apart the circumstances. It's going to be the right job with the right people. And it's going to be a job that's going to eventuate into a career for you. But you already know it's there. It's just you haven't been able to see the gap opened for you to go through the door. And God says, before the end of January, I'm going to open that door for you. Okay. That's a word. Okay. What has to happen is we have to act upon the word, but I believe we have to speak the word. So what I'm going to ask you to do is just pray for a second with me and ask the Lord what the word is for you this Christmas as we go into this new year. There's been so much about the year 2020 that was prophesied as a year of seeing the whole issue of 2020 vision and all of that. So really, did you catch any of that? Did I catch any of that? What is God speaking to you? What word needs to become a word fleshed out? So I want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to just touch everyone who's watching, everyone who's uh, listening with the sense of a word. And then we're going to close our eyes and shape it into a breath and believe it's from God. Okay, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask with my brothers and sisters who are attending with me virtually, we ask for you to put your finger on a word to be made flesh this morning in this Christmas so that we, like Mary, can birth you to a desperately lost world. What is our word? What is my word this Christmas? I ask you to put it in the hearts. Every person who's listening right now,
in Jesus' name. Now, I'm asking us all to close our eyes and we're going to have a whisper gesture. (laughs) Please, let's close our eyes and just whisper under our breath, but shape a word, just the word itself. Maybe like I just prophesied that it would be like move north or could just be north. But there's a word that's important and God is going to accomplish it. So right now, close your eyes and on three, we're going to whisper under our breath that word. And Lord, together, we now say, be it done unto me according to your word. Jesus, you, the word made flesh, who dwells among us. Amen and amen. And if you're watching and this is all new stuff to you and, but you feel like something's happening and faith is rising up in you, here's a word for you. Jesus died for you. And this morning, this morning could be the most important Christmas morning of your life as you go into the celebration of Jesus becoming a word. So if everyone would just pray with me, who knows? Who knows the saving power of God this morning? Pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things that I've done in my life that that have been wrong. And I ask you to forgive me. I now turn from anything that I know is wrong. And I thank you that you died on the cross for me because I'm forgiven and set free by faith in you. Come into my life and I receive you. I receive you, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for being my word, Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.